Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face. -face. I'm your host, Sean McCraney, feeling short, feeling fat, standing among tall, handsome, thinner men, and uh, you recognize him, I'm sure. Adams Road, all the way out from Florida, a round of applause. Micah, Matt, Steve, Jay, and Joseph, what's happening? I'm going to take this off because our boom mic has been removed. Uh, Micah, are you going to do the talking? <laughs> I, I want you all to know one thing. Whenever these guys get around, the, the spirit's always strong. They, they do such a great job at what they, uh, the Lord has put on their heart with their music and bearing testimony, traveling about. But there's a danger in being next to this one. <laughs> I mean, literally, I'm amazed the set hasn't come crashing down on our head with Joseph here. I think Satan's trying to kill him and anyone who gets near him. So what's been happening? How have you all been? Oh, good. Good, yeah, good, really good, good. Yeah, doing Stay good. Busy. Excellent. You look handsome, yeah. busy, tan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, where, where are you touring? Where are you coming? Do you know? I know I'm probably, I should talk to your manager, but where are you going? Uh, we're going all over Utah for okay. the next couple weeks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, tomorrow night, uh, we will be at Fellowship Bible Church in Linden. Uh, Friday night, we will be at uh, Cross Point Church in Taylorsville. Sunday, we'll be at Payson Bible Church in the morning, and then Grace Bible Church in the evening, which is in Springville. Mm -hmm. uh, Tuesday, we'll be at Mountain View Baptist in Layton, and then Wednesday, Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake. Thursday, we'll be in Hurricane. Friday, St. George. Sunday, we're going to Vegas. Get rid of your manager. Huh? You don't need one. You know the whole thing. I tried to memorize all that. That's really good. Hey, listen, if uh, you haven't seen Adam's Road, or if you have, invite your LDS family, friends, and neighbors. Uh, it's, it's really a great experience to hear what the Lord has done in their lives individually, collectively how he's worked with them. They have a new CD out. Tell us about it, Micah. New album. Uh, yeah, new album. It's called Great Commission, and it's just... You know, putting more scripture into music and sharing the gospel and, you know, just encouraging all, all you know, believers to be witnesses of, of the grace of Jesus Christ and to go out and fulfill the Great Commission. So, Amen. Yeah. You should see the cover, too. It's really good. It's beautiful. I love it. Uh, hey, where can people get it? Uh, if you go to adamsroadband.com, you can order it and we'll send it to you for free. You can download it for free. And also our calendar with all of our shows is on adamsroadband.com as well. So any information, just go to the website. And you can also show up, and they, they typically uh, give their CDs out for free there as well. Yes, every concert, we'll give free CDs at the end of the concert. So it's uh, motivation to come. Excellent. <laughs> any let me come to this side. Any thoughts from this side of the, uh, of the room? We love Jesus. Amen. Yeah. Amen. We like that. We all like right. that a lot. Yeah. We love that. And speaking of Jesus, uh, first of all, let's thank Adams Road for coming up and spending time with us tonight. Uh, maybe before the show's over, we'll have them come back, right back up for uh, some final thoughts to wrap us up tonight. So thanks, you guys. Thank you. Bravo. Speaking of Jesus, behind me, you might notice a difference on the set. Um, Jesus, period. You know what this is? You know what that is? In Texas, these are being found and seen all over lawns as political signs. Uh, and so uh, we thought Andrea C. is a great supporter of uh, the ministry. And Andrea contacted me. She went to Texas. She sent this to me. We've blown it up. Uh, and what we're going to do is in, on October 6th, Aletheia Ministries is having these printed up. 
and we are going to have stations in Logan, Ogden, Salt Lake, and Provo, 2 o'clock on Saturday afternoon. Anybody who wants one of these for their yard can come to one of the locations, which we'll disclose next week, and you can get one of these banner signs for your yard for free, and you just stick it in your yard, and it lets all your neighbors know where you put your faith and trust in this election season. So uh, consider that. We'll let you know more about it as time goes on. Until the election, this Jesus sign is going to be behind me, and maybe even longer. Uh, we do praise the true and living God for allowing us to be part of his ministry. We hope and pray he will be with you tonight. Every week uh, we meet up at the University of Utah to focus on studying the word verse by verse and singing the word. Uh, we meet at 10 a.m. and then again at 2.30 p.m. Go to www.campus.com with hyphens in there for more information. Now we never miss gathering together on Sunday, but we're making an exception this coming Sunday. Why? Because Dr. Norman Geisler, perhaps one of the most important Bible scholars and Christian minds of our day, will be visiting Utah and speaking at Grace Community Bible Church in Sandy. Grace Community Bible Church is located at 11592 South, 1300 East in Sandy. Dr. Geisler will be speaking from 1 to 3.30 p.m. He will be speaking about how to interpret the Bible, and believe me, this man knows how to teach that, and also dealing with alleged errors in the Bible. Two great topics. If you live in the state of Utah, go to this. Uh, look, I have no vested interest in Grace Community Bible Church. I, I have no uh, opinion of them whatsoever. We're not being paid to share this, but it's for the strengthening of the body to get you to go hear Dr. Norman Geisler on those two topics. Well worth the time and trip. That is Sunday, September 23rd, 1 to 3.30, Dr. Norman Geisler. It's a free event, but the, invitation, but the information there is going to be invaluable. Check it out. On to another important announcement for you to consider. Right after our program tonight, uh, the uh, third part, I believe, of the trans Transitions video series will air right here on TV20. Transitions is an excellent product that teaches Christians how to help Latter-day Saints transition out of Mormonism and into the body of Christ. Uh, right after the show, you can see the Transitions product here on TV. Every church, I believe, in America ought to participate and benefit from this product by having it in their libraries. But hey, here's an awful idea. Why don't we start with getting them into every church in Utah first? And you can do that by watching the Transitions a video. They'll show right after this program. And then talk to your pastor about getting the Transitions, participating in being Transitions trained. Uh, LDSTransitions.com. www.ldstransitions.com is where you can get more information about this tool that every Christian church in this state ought to have, and then we'll work on the nation. We had a great time out of the first annual Good News Celebration in Spanish Fork last Saturday. Uh, there was a great gathering of believers there, there to see Doris Hansen and the Higleys and Adams Road uh, perform. They even let me get up and rant for a while. We truly and genuinely appreciate and look forward to this event next year. So they really did it right. I mean, if you could have made it out there and seen the tents and seen how everything was uh, laid out, it was, had a capacity for far uh, more people, but a lot of people still showed up, so we'll look forward to being part of that. Well, it seems that in college football, Brigham Young University was beaten by the University of Utah last Saturday night. Final score, 24 to 21. B 
being new to the state as a full-time resident now, but not new to the way the LDS will invoke God's name in everything they do, I was not surprised to hear from our heart-of-the-matter insider, known as The Wah, that on the internet uh, there was some fire going on after the game as BYU devotees said that the reason they lost was because God had intervened as a means to teach the students of his university a lesson. You see, the game's conclusion flew into a series of delays due to the fans flowing out onto the field during regulation play. After the dust settled, BYU was left with one second to uh, perform a 35-yard or so field goal, which would have tied the game up 24-24. But the ball hit the upright of the post, deflected wide, and left the Utes victorious for the fourth year in the row. Now, I would never report on college sports here on this program, but uh, from what I've been told, the BYU fans, some BYU fans are saying God is the one who caused that ball to deflect. According to them, Heavenly Father was apparently displeased that the game had wandered into what the Mormons call the Sabbath day, uh, which begins at 12 midnight on Sunday, leaving members of the Lord's University still on the playing field. So God supposedly caused the kick to be just a smidge wide, teaching the, his university students that there are more important matters than a football game. Of course, if the field goal had been good and BYU had moved on and beat the Utes that night, I'm sure the LDS would have said it proves uh, that the Sabbath day or not, God really is a Mormon. So I've learned from some of the Salt Lake locals of late that there is one consistent thing that has gone on over the years in the game between University of Utah and BYU, and that is if BYU loses, there is always an excuse made. No different than their prophets and apostles. Hmm. Anyway, speaking of apostles, the LDS faithful have always maintained that their leaders uh, are just paid a modest stipend or income, particularly the apostles, a living allowance for their service as apostles. Uh, it is so modest um, that, um, you know, you just get the idea that it might be ten dollars or $20,000 a year just to pay for all the necessities. And if it's so modest, I want to know, how come they don't tell us what it is? How come if it's such a modest income, the LDS apostles and prophets don't reveal to the church, tithe payers, what their income is? I mean, that's fair. The reason I bring this up is because I was told, and this information is completely without verification. Understand, I have not verified it. But I was told by a very good source that in 2006, LDS apostle Henry Irene was paid $600,000 for being an apostle. Now, uh, that would really be insightful to know if that rumor was true. Can someone, anyone, verify uh, this uh, fact? We really want to know, wouldn't you? You'll see that we have our stickers, Joseph's Myth. You guys have been picking these up. These things really cause a lot of conversation, I have to admit. So Derek came up with this idea. If you happen to be in an area where you're wearing your Joseph Smith t-shirt, you can get that at uh, www.hotm.tv, or you have the bumper sticker, or you hold up the bumper sticker, and you're in a prominent place, a monument, so to speak, Zion's National Park, a general conference, or any of these places, take a picture, send it to us, 
and we will put it on the air on the website wherever we can so that we can gather a collection of how far and wide Joseph Smith stickers and t-shirts are getting out there in the community. Got an email from a young man named Ryan. It says, hi, Sean, love the show, learning so much about the Bible and the differences between Christianity and Mormonism. I'm a Catholic. Though I'd like to put my relationship with Jesus Christ before any denomination, what's your general stand on Catholicism? I'd just like to find out if it's a bad place for me to be in my relationship with Christ. I'm not sure if Catholicism is right. Half of me says it's right, half of me says it's wrong. His family, entire family, is Catholic, and he's only 14 years of age. I wrote, Catholicism, like all religious institutions, Ryan, are made up of good and bad. With, uh, with Catholicism comes years of consistency in many ways, beautiful buildings, some good uh, liturgy and music, and, 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 in, and includes Christ in many of the things they do. There's the family Catholic uh, that it feels good to belong to. But I personally believe that there are many Catholic people who know the Lord and are saved in spite of their man-made detractions. Uh, this being said, Catholicism, just like Mormonism, has a lot of extra stuff that can serve to get in the way or in between your relationship and the Lord. It just kind of gets in between and sometimes it can even serve to keep people from knowing the Lord. Um, and then there's also the idea that the Catholics can put forth that in order to be a Catholic, I mean if you're a Catholic it means you're automatically going to heaven. I'm a Catholic, I'm going to heaven, I'm a Mormon, I'm going to heaven. And that's just simply not true according to the Bible. All religions have issues, uh, and that's why religion cannot save them. Only Jesus Christ can. Uh, and so I personally believe that Catholicism has a lot of issues uh, uh, that many non-denominational Christian churches have. Papal infallibility, the Eucharist, praying to Mary, ideas like that. But all religious gatherings, including the religious gathering we hold on Sundays, have issues. They, they, they just do. So uh, the real question comes down uh, to Ryan. One, does the Catholic Church teach you the Bible? When you go to church, are you learning what the Lord says through the Word of God? Uh, does it get you to praise the Lord sincerely? And does it increase your faith and love for God and man? Uh, those things are key to a church, those things. And teaching the Bible means teaching it without, uh, 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 I suggest, uh, eisegetical interpretation. Okay, it's a personal decision, but uh, in the end, I would sincerely check it out. Uh, interestingly enough, a brother out in Connecticut sent an email right after this one, and it says, Dear Sean, um, I must tell you that here in Danbury, Connecticut, the Catholic Church is one of our major battles, just as the Mormons are in Utah. The Catholics here in New England teach false doctrine that base their salvation on works, praying to Mary, graven images, praying for the dead, infant baptism, etc. These Catholics, many of these Catholics do not know the uh, Bible. They only know their church rituals. I care for the Catholic people, but hate their false church and teachings. Keep up the good fight. So with this being said and done, uh, I think it's clear that Catholicism has some major issues relative to biblical Christianity. Believers need to do all they can to reach out to Catholics in truth and love. I would be willing, I think uh, our ministry would be willing to actually host a program. Uh, heart of the matter for Catholics. If somebody was adept at understanding Catholicism, true Catholicism, and biblical Christianity, and can get up and articulate the differences, I, would, I think we would love to produce a show like that. If that's you, let us know, www.hotm.tv. Okay, let's go to a moment from the Word. Whew. 
We're still working our way through John and still find ourselves in chapter 14. Amazing chapter. Tonight at verse 27 where Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. We live in some very spiritually beguiling times. It's a day and age when emotionalism has counterfeited itself as a spokesman for God and big light shows and commercially driven media presentations have made many people think that this uh, equates to God's truth. Watch Glenn Beck's most influential pieces and you will see uh, most of them accompanied by his shaking chin and tears. Uh, go to any major Christian revival or megachurch and you in many ways will find a theatrical production more than the gospel message presented from the Bible. And watch any LDS meeting and you're sure to be engulfed by such emotionalism too. Listen, emotionalism is part of the peace that the world gives. It's just part of the worldly peace. I can go to a, uh, a Bad Religion concert or Jack White or the White Stripes or one of the bands that I in the past have really, really enjoyed live. And when I go there, I, I have a sense of emotionalism that, makes, that touches me deeply. But that is not the peace that God gives. And uh, the special feeling that you get when you hear children singing about Santa when the snow starts to fall and they're all dressed up and they're singing, that's, that's an emotionalism that is of this world, but it is not of God. Uh, when, you, when, when you hear the national anthem sung, that is not saying that God loves America more than he loves the national anthem of France. It's, it's emotionalism. And so what people do is they use that as a means to make people think they are standing for the truth. This is why God said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Don't let yourself be swayed and influenced by the peace the world gives. It's happening more and more. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things in accordance with what is written in the word of God. And by and through, uh, this means you will know truth and the truth will set you free. With that, let's have a word of prayer. Father God, we uh, pray for uh, everybody who's involved in the production tonight and uh, their volunteerism, their uh, support of the ministry, the audiences who are listening here live, out in TV land, in the archives, through streaming, anyone who's searching for truth, Lord, we pray that something will be said that's of you. The things that I do that are failures, the things I do that are wrong, that I say that are wrong, forgive me, Lord, and let those things bypass people who are listening for truth. But Lord, send your spirit to bring all of us to a greater knowledge of you, which is eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we presented you with a number of the best passages from the Old Testament that indict LDS doctrine practice and generally held beliefs. Tonight, I want to hit you with the best from the four Gospels. Uh, before we do, let me tell you a quick story. A number of years ago, I had an LDS man challenge me to just come and sit down and let's start with Matthew and let's read together and let's just pause on anything that is significant. I really believe his intent was that we were going to read and probably go through several chapters before we came up with anything that was significant. But in actuality, in the very first verse 
I saw, because of reading the Bible and studying it and, and learning from other uh, people and, and from the Holy Spirit, that it was greatly significant, the very first verse. I mean, we could hardly get past four verses before he was, like, exhausted. He thought it was going to be this, this thing that it doesn't really have any meaning except for the, a couple of these uh, verses. I realize, this being said, please know that we're going to highlight what I consider the best of the uh, four Gospels in the Mormon Christian debate. So I realize there's a lot more. Here we go. Matthew 1, 23. It says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. What a beautiful passage. Uh, and then we consider that uh, all that the LDS apostles and prophets and teachers have said about the conception of Jesus, especially in the early years of the church, about his divinity, uh, things like that, this passage speaks volume. Who is with us? God is with us. Called in, uh, carried in utero by a virgin, point blank. We're going to touch on that subject in just a minute. Uh, Matthew 4, when Jesus was tempted of Satan in the wilderness... He cited the Old Testament. Three times he said to Satan, it is written. It is written. It is written, Satan. Now, if the Lord could trust the Bible, the Old Testament, why don't the Latter-day Saints? The Old Testament was in some ways older to him when he was alive on the earth than, it is, than the New Testament is to uh, modernity. It, the modern times, in the modern epoch of times, the New Testament is, is far closer to us than the Old Testament was to him. And yet he quoted it, and you notice he didn't say as far as it's translated correctly. Satan came to him, and he quoted from the Old Testament. Next, the LDS put family devotion on almost an equal basis to their devotion to God. In fact, most active LDS families will reject a family member who leaves the Mormon church and goes to have a relationship with Christ and be a, 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 a Christian. Even though uh, this is exactly what all followers of the Lord should do. Listen to Matthew 10, 37. It says, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That's priorities. Jesus is not saying don't love father and mother or son or daughter, but he's saying don't ever make them a priority. And yet, the love for father and mother, son and daughter, comes before someone who has come to know Jesus Christ and decides to leave the Mormon church. Very interesting where their priorities set. Jesus said in Matthew 11:30, My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Why is the LDS burden, and it was for me being a member, uh, so heavy? They claim that it's all in the cause of Christ, but his yoke is easy, his burden is light. Why the workload that is in Mormonism? What did they bring? What did Joseph bring that Jesus didn't? How come Jesus said, hey, it's, 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 it's light and easy with me, and yet the Mormons work their people to death? What's going on there? One of the most popular and honored men in the state of Utah is the present-day LDS prophet Thomas S. Monson. I mean, sidewalks clear when this guy comes rumbling down the street. So why does Jesus say in Mark 6, 4, a prophet is not without honor except 
in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. Hmm, gives you something to think about. The LDS follow uh, an unoriginal but strict code of dietary rules for personal worthiness called the word of wisdom. To break it by drinking coffee or tea or alcohol or to use tobacco makes a Latter-day Saint unworthy to go into their temples and to do other things. So how come Jesus said in Mark 7:15, there is nothing from outside a man that entering into him can defile him, but the things which come out of him those are they that defile the man. Nothing, he said, that goes in can defile you. How could it when it's the Holy Spirit of God who moves in because your heart has been cleansed by the shed blood of Christ? If you had coffee slip through your mouth, if you had tea or alcohol, and it's not that drinking alcohol and using tobacco is a good thing. I mean, it's not good for your body probably, maybe some in some cases, but it's, that's not the point. The point is it doesn't defile you or make you unworthy. What defiles you is what comes out, because what comes out comes from the heart. That's what Jesus was saying. Why do the Mormons focus on what goes in so much when Jesus says that? In Mark chapter 9, the apostle John came to Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, there's this man casting out devils in your name, and uh, this man is not following us. So I told him, I forbade him from doing this. You know, I, you can't do this, man. And uh, so uh, what does Jesus say? Okay, he says, forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me, for he that is not against us is on our part. The reason I bring this up is the LDS lay claim to having a priesthood that authorizes them and them alone to do things in Jesus' name. You have to hold this priesthood that they give you in order to speak and act and be authorized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they tell that to each other and the missionaries tell that to people who are investigating the church. No other church has authority because we have this fictional, by the way, priesthood that we hold. And yet here, there's some dude running around. He's not following with the apostles. And he's casting out devils in Jesus' name. And John gets a little religiously indignant. Jesus, look at that guy. Jesus says, leave him alone, man. He, he's doing it in my name. He's, if he's not against us, he's with us. How liberal is that? And how refining and restrictive and elitist and entitling is the Mormon priesthood. The Lord plainly says in Mark 13, 31, heaven and earth shall pass away but my words will not pass away. How do the LDS who do not believe the Bible is a trustworthy record rec uh, reconcile these words? That Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, obliterate, disappear, annihilation of all these material things, and my words will not. And yet they don't think the Bible came out where we can trust it. Absolutely amazing. In the Old Testament, there was a thick veil, in the Old Testament temple, excuse me, there was a, temp, a thick veil that separated everybody, all the masses, from the Holy of Holies, in which a high priest would go in once a year, okay? In a similar and symbolic fashion, Joseph Smith introduced a veil to his temples that everyone must pass through after sharing secret handshakes and, and phrases to prove they qualify and to get them symbolically into the celestial kingdom. But in Mark 15, 37, 38, it says, speaking of Christ's death on the cross, listen, and Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain 
from top to the bottom. What does this mean to Christians? It means that the temple segregation was no longer. Top to bottom, the Lord, by his power, ripped that veil, which is super thick, impossible to tear. He tore it open and said, we don't have this, this priestly thing anymore with these holy of holies here on earth and blood sacrifice being made there. Jesus did it. No more veils. Joseph Smith tacked it back up. He put it back up and he makes people go through his veil in order to be found worthy to enter into his celestial kingdom. Do you see what this man has created and how many millions are under that? Unbelievable. But jumping ahead, Hebrews 10 provides us with insights on how we now enter into the Holy of Holies and what veil we as believers pass through. Listen to this. This is so important. Hebrews uh, chapter 10 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness, talking about believers, to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. That's how we enter this holy now, all of us. By a new and living way. That living way is the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We enter into the Holy of Holies by him, the new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. In other words, the veil which was ripped in two by God when Jesus died is now his actual flesh as he sits on the right hand of the Father in the Holy of Holies making a mediation and propitiation. Oh, you already made propitiation. Making mediation for us who are here and believers. It's unbelievable what that temple represents and the priesthood authority supposedly that it invokes. In Luke, it's clear how Jesus was conceived. It says... Luke 135, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, talking to Mary, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. We know from that passage that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. But LDS prophet, when he was a prophet, Brigham Young rejected the overshadowing of the Holy Ghost completely, saying, quote, now remember from this time forth and forever that Jesus Christ was not begotten by the Holy Ghost, period. Journal of Discourses, Volume 1, page 51. Of course, this little review really wouldn't have any teeth if we didn't include John 1, 1 through 3, and then verse 14, which says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, meaning the word. And without him was not anything made that was made. And then in verse 14 it says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Most people, especially the LDS, struggle greatly with the idea of one God, three persons. Try and understand that prior to Jesus being born, the Old Testament simply speaks of God. There was not a father-son construct in the place because the word of God had not become flesh. God was God, Old Testament. Father-son construct, not there. Once God took on flesh, uh, the man in the flesh, who was God in the spirit within him, became the Son of God, called the Son of God because he took on flesh. Then here is in the same chapter of John, we come across one of my favorite New Testament passages. Why? 
because it puts the LDS myth that all people are born children of God to bed. It says, He, Jesus, came unto his own, the Jews, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Hand in hand with this, in John 3, 7, Nicodem Jesus says to Nicodemus, Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. Why are we commanded to be born again? Why does it say that we become the sons of God through belief? Uh, if the LDS claim that we are born sons of God, why be born again? Why, why, why do they have this pre... Um, uh, destinate... What is it? Pre-existence. Why do they have this idea of pre-existence? Of course, the LDS say that God the Father has a body of flesh and bone, but Jesus makes it perfectly clear when he says in John 4, 24, God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. What makes matters worse for the LDS, of course, where they, is where they get the idea that God has a body of, of flesh and bone. It's from Joseph Smith, their, their founder prophet. Read Grant Palmer's book, An Insider's View of Mormon Origins, and you will see, or go to utlm.org, you will see the facts about the first vision. And as mentioned, the LDS claim that all people came from a pre-mortal existence located above with God, that we all live there. But Jesus said in John 8, 23, you are from beneath, I am from above, you are of this world, I am not of this world. Again, proving that only, the only pre-mortal being ever to walk the face of this earth was Jesus. And finally, again, the LDS have long besmirched the validity of the word of God. But John, the beloved, wrote in his gospel account, final scripture for tonight, but these are written, the things he was writing, that ye might believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. That's a promise I completely trust. Don't you? Let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. First time callers, please. LDS callers preferred. Turn down, down, down your TV sets. We'll come back to... Kyle and Salem and somebody else and we will go from there. Oh, I'm supposed to say that this ministry cannot exist without your support of prayers, volunteerism, sharing the show with others, and if you're in a position to help us financially. Only in a position, no widow's might, no fixed income uh, people. We are going to go to Kyle and Salem. Uh, Kyle, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello? You're on the air, man. Hey, is this Sean? It is. Hey, Sean, I just want to tell you how much we appreciated going to the, uh, the Good News Celebration. Thanks. And uh, it was great. We heard the word. We have our T-shirts, and we are spreading the bumper stickers. Awesome. Yeah, just so you know, you're a badass. You can't say that on TV. You can say a jackass, that is in the Bible. A donkey, but not badass. Not a jackass, a badass. But it's all good. I'll talk to you next time, okay? Thanks for calling, ma'am. Bye-bye. Yeah. Hey, you know, one of the reasons that uh, I liken myself always to a donkey is because I am very uh, impressed with the donkey that Balaam rode on. First, donkeys are beasts of burden. 
Second, Balaam beat that donkey for seeing an angel and stopping when Balaam couldn't see it. I want to be a donkey that has eyes. Third, the Lord spoke through the donkey. You know, all those things are parallel to uh, uh, someone who wants to be uh, a burden carrier for the Lord. And I am the biggest donkey jackass uh, on earth. And I say it proudly. Uh, somebody wrote, this is not hate mail. He's LDS. He says, Sean, we, meaning the Mormons, show we are following Christ by the things we do, the things we say, and the way we are. He goes on, and but let me just talk about those first three things. We show we are followers of Christ by the things we do. You mean justifying disobedience to the law? You claim must be obeyed like Sabbath day. You know you've probably broken it yourself. The things you do, you mean lie and obfuscate your beliefs when you go out and try to share them with people. If people say, hey, was Joseph Smith a polygamy? No, no. No, we don't believe in polygamy anymore when you know you do. I mean, is that what you're talking about, the things you do? Uh, when you build your $5 billion shopping malls, are we talking about those things that you do? Or when you burden your people with uh, unbiblical rights and religious, are those the things that you do that make you a Christian? See, you have such a narrow view, you really believe that that monolithic corporation actually does only benevolent things. You, you really do not understand how antithetical to the Bible that religion is. So, but you write me and say, by the things you do, you show that you are a follower of Christ. Then you say, the things we say. Okay, well, you say that Jesus is not enough. Does that mean you're a Christian? You say that God was once a man. You say that the cross is of less import than the garden. You say that some sin cannot be forgiven. You say that people need to be worthy. Are these the things you say that make you a follower of Christ? I mean, have you ever looked at the other side of the coin with all your claims? And then you say, and the way we are. You mean you're exclusionary, you're elitist, you're materialist, you're pharisaical? You mean all those things the way you are? Is that how you're like Christ? You see, you just come and you present your marketing package. That's what your missionaries do. It's what you guys do on television. And, and, and other people can see the difference, and we articulate them, and then you call us anti-Mormon. You go on and say, uh, anybody who mocks a man for his belief he is not a true Christian. I see Jesus. Jesus must not have been a Christian then because he would mock those Pharisees and Sadducees for their beliefs. Read Matthew 23. We've talked about that a lot. Throw away, you say, any hate that you may have for the church and show some true Christ-like love. I want you to know it's loving to call you out on your junk. It, it, it takes, uh, and anybody who's in ministry know it gets tiring. You get tired of being a, a broken record. But it takes a tenacity, and it's that tenacity comes from love to try to help you understand how errant you are. And then you finish it up by saying, um, you are going to face nothing but much pain, sorrow, and regret. I warn you, Sean, Christ will not be mocked. And uh, I agree with you on that. Uh, let's go to Eli in uh, line three. Eli, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hold on, let me turn the TV down, Sean. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay, I'm back, Sean. I'm sorry. Hey, I just wanted to know how does the LBS Church um, justify their the uh, dichotomy when they believe in a polytheistic God, and then you just read that passage of where the Holy Spirit came upon Mary. If you know, I mean, doesn't that how how do they justify a dichotomy that if 
daily that God had intercourse with Mary to impregnate her, how do they justify where that passage says that the Holy, Bi- you know, that the in the Holy Bible that the Spirit came upon her? Well, uh, so what do you mean the, when it comes to polytheism and the uh, and? Well, because they believe in three separate gods. So what I'm saying is, is if if they believe that the Holy Father impregnated Mary, right? But the but the Bible justifies through the Bible that the Holy Spirit impregnated Mary. I see. Then then according to their if you if you follow their track of logic, then Jesus is the Son of the Holy Spirit, not the Son of of, of ah, the Father. I see. I see your logic. Well, well, what they do is first they, they, I mean, historically they've renounced that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, but it was the Father, and he was siring Jesus the way any man naturally sires one of his own. Yeah, intercourse, yeah. So, uh, uh, so they don't say the Holy Spirit sired him, the Father did, and that's why he's the Son of God. So they would justify it in that. Now, what you make is a really good point for today, because like when Holland just spoke, he said in his talk about Christ that he was, uh, he was uh, created by overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, Holland must not have listened to the prophet Brigham Young and others who have, and even back to McConkie, who said that it was a natural process between the father and Mary. But so today, your argument holds. So if they are three separate, and the Holy Spirit is the one who did it, and not the father, you make a great point. So it's a, it's a really good apologetic point to use with yeah. Saturday. So, so Jesus is speaking the authority of the Holy Spirit, according to them, Jesus' authority for the Holy Father is irrelevant because he's not the son of Holy Father, he's the son of Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's a really good uh, apologetic point to use now as the Latter-day Saints are trying to be seen as Christian and speaking in Christianese uh, to the world so that they will be embraced and, and get one of their own in the most powerful seat on earth. Nope. Really? Well, thank you, brother. I love you. Hey, you, you too, Eli. Great comment. Hey, keep, keep up his work. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <coughs> We're going to Jeff in Connecticut, first-time caller. Jeff, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, hi, hi, Sean. Um, hi. Hey, it's great to be talking to you. I was going to have my wife call, but she was too shy, so I'm going to call and ask a quick question with you. Yes. Um, when I was in Utah, I had a lot of, I wasn't a Mormon, but all my neighbors were Mormons, and a lot of them drank those big 32-ounce sodas. And I was wondering, is it true that they can't, is it the caffeine that they can't have? Okay. Uh, you're tapping on like uh, uh, an exposed nerve in the, in the Mormon church today because now they're coming out and saying that there has never, ever been a, uh, a proclamation against caffeinated drinks. They say it's not good for you, but we have never said you can't drink caffeinated drinks. The Doctrine and Covenants only speaks of uh, coffee, tea, as interpreted by modern-day apostles and prophets. So they are today, and again, in order to focus attention on some idiot uh, idiocy, they are today trying to say we've never done that. I want you to know as a Latter-day Saint growing up, and I had all my talks, and I went on outings, and I went to numerous, numerous, numerous LDS events, nobody ever brought caffeinated drinks to those part church parties or events. It was anathema. You were looked down upon, and they even would talk to you in your temple recommend interviews when I was in my teens, whether you participated in drinking those or not. They've changed their story now. So today, uh, they are saying it doesn't have anything to do with it. You can have caffeinated drinks, and so they have exonerated all your neighbors who walk around with those buckets with the handles on them and, and drink the caffeine. Now, also, uh, just to let you know, Jeff, BYU and, and, and Mormonism is saying that it was food services' fault 
for not having caffeinated drinks on the BYU campus and uh, that they had made the error, not the church. It's unbelievable. It's like the football game. You know, <laughs> there's always an excuse. But really good question, my friend. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Okay, thanks for calling. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye. We're going to Diane and... Uh, Hello. 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 You're on the air, Diane. Okay. Uh, I'll turn my television completely down. Okay. How soon am I going to be on, hon? Well, tell me what you want to talk about. Uh, I, um, I told the lady I talked to it's about uh, trying to prove a point to people that material things do not matter. It's Jesus that matters. My mother just died three weeks ago, and I had everything taken away from me in my will. So well, let me, let me get Sean on the phone. Hold on, okay? Thank you, darling. Hey, you're on the air. Hi, Sean. Hi. Sean? Yes? Are you there, dear? I am. <laughs> this is Diane, your good friend here. I've called you before. <laughs> Hi, Diane. Do you remember me, Sean? I do. Listen, I have really had a sad heart. How come? My darling mother, stepmother that I loved so much that I've been with so many years, her and my real father. She passed away not quite a month ago, and it stroked my heart. And I was left some things in her will, you know, furniture, and I was the only child. My other sister didn't uh, own up to the parents. They, she didn't want them, you know, nothing to do with them. So that made me the only child, you know. And I was willed the home and a lot of the furnishings and everything. And my dad died 1970, or 19... Uh, Diane? 87, yes. How old was your mother-in-law or your mom? My mom was 87. Okay, and, and so, and you're heartbroken over her passing. Was she a believer? Uh, she was a Christian, and she was very uh, uh, faithful. She went to church, and the uh, programs and everything was very active all her life. But when she passed away, her sister planned to Wyoming. I know I'm hurrying as fast as I can. And uh, anyway, her sister and her husband from Lander, Wyoming, came here, took the home, took everything, my player piano and everything that was willed to me, and took it back to, they had big horse trailers and trailers and trucks and everything and hauled everything back to Lander, Wyoming, and I didn't get nothing. And my point for calling is to tell everybody that's listening Material things are not important, and they do not count. The only one that counts is Jesus. As Praise God. As long as we have Jesus in our heart, we've got more than any material thing could ever, ever mean any more than... That's a beautiful testimony, Diane. Thank you so much. And, and uh, you know, I want you to understand, when the world fell into sin, it was a gift of God. Uh, for us to die. It's a gift. 
I mean, imagine if we just continued to live on in this fallen place. Right. So it, it wasn't a gift prior to the fall. Death is an ugly thing to God. But, you know, uh, she's in a great place. You continue on, my sister. Thank you for sharing that with our audience. And, Sean, let me tell you one thing. You're great. You keep the good work up. I love you. Everybody loves you. Oh, no, they don't. Uh, But thank you so much. God bless. God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye. You know, uh, springboarding off that, let me just say really quick before we go to Virginia, um, there is no material thing worth uh, uh, becoming unchristian over. There is no material thing to not forgive somebody over. If someone owes you a ton of money, they signed contracts, they made promises, forgive them. If they're not paying you, don't carry around the burden. Don't carry around the bitterness. You can't take it with you. You know, it's, it's a rotten thing about this fallen world, but if people uh, take advantage of you in these ways, let it go. It doesn't matter. It, you know, the Lord will bless you as you continue to move forward and just let all that junk go. Don't focus on the material. Focus on that spiritual aspect of your life, and you will be blessed, I promise you. Okay, let's go to Virginia and Salt Lake City, first-time caller. Virginia, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi. You're on the air, Virginia. Uh, okay. You, you have to turn your TV down. Yeah, it is. Okay, you're on the air. Okay. Hi, Sean. Yes. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing well. I look like uh, somebody uh, who is campaigning for Jesus. Oh, I love well, that red and white sign behind me. That's are, great. Yeah. Uh-huh. You are fabulous. You are <laughs> such a blessing. And uh, you know, I have family watching you in Seattle, Portland, and all over. Uh, we've met. And last time I saw you was at the park, Spray Park. And... I just had a comment in regards to all the changes in the book. Book of Mormon? Yeah. All the changes they've made? Yeah. They all seem to kind of a, oh, how should I put it? Uh, depending on what's going on in the world. Yeah, they've made a few of late that have definitely done that. Um, a great place to get a hold of a book for our listening audience, not you, Virginia, is utlm.org sells all of the 3,000, however many changes have been made in that book, all you gotta do is make a comparison. For those of you who have been deluded that the book is, was really, really perfect, go read that book. It's not just grammatical changes and punctuation, literally doctrinal changes. Oh, I know. They should have something in writing that says, um, you know, as translated correctly. Yeah. Know? It's a good point, yeah. It's Save a, that one. Everything about uh, Mormonism is, uh, is really to the present time. That's why they have modern-day prophets who can change and alter anything that was popular and uh, mandatory in the past. Yeah. From the temple ceremony to their commandments to anything, they can alter it so that they can continue to survive, and they say God is the author behind it. And people can ask questions. It just drives me crazy <laughs> sometimes. Hey, thank you for the call, Virginia. God bless. Can I ask you one more thing? You got to be quick. Okay, real quick. Also, um, they say that God, the children pick their parents from heaven. Then why do kids go, oh, I want both parents that abuse? I can't hear her, Derek. Oh, that doesn't make sense. Or, yeah, yeah. It doesn't make sense to me either. Okay. Sean, you're great. God bless you. Take uh, care. God bless you and constantly praying. See you later. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay, let's go to Joshua. Joshua, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, my name is, uh, not, yeah, sorry. 
Um, I uh, have the same story as you. I was LDS, went through the temple and everything, and, um, you know, everything fell apart. And then I found a wonderful woman who was not really, she's more agnostic. She didn't really believe in, you know, um, the LDS, but she, she believed in Christ. And, and then uh, we just barely got your book today. And uh, it's a wonderful book, and we love it. And uh, I was just—you uh, were talking about a uh, Farrakhal earlier. Uh huh. What What was that exactly? What is that? What is that? What is that? A different religion, or what is that exactly? What's the word again? Pharisaical. Oh, uh, there is a uh, there is a group of Jewish. Uh, there was a sect of Jewish uh, men, and they were called Pharisees. And there's another set called Sadducees, and there's another set called Essenes, and they were the three major religious factions that were popular at the time of Jesus. The the Sadducees didn't believe in uh, in any book after uh, the uh, uh, Pentateuch, and they didn't believe in resurrection. The Pharisees were a little bit more inclined to all the Old Testament, but they were also very proud. Sadducees typically had a little bit more money. Pharisees were all about the law and, and strict. They swallowed a camel and strained at a gnat. And that's how Jesus described them. They would, they would swallow an entire camel, but when a little gnat got in their throat, they'd be like, ah! And uh, Jesus was like, you got a big problem, buddy. And so the problem was with their heart. So keep reading about them. You'll learn more, my friend. All right. Hey, thanks. I will, I'll, I'll do that. But thank you, and I, I really love your show. It's really awesome, and I really appreciate you uh, uh, coming to Christ like I did in a way. You know, I went through the temple, like I said earlier. So thank you so much. Thank you, Joshua. Thanks for watching. God bless. God bless. Bye-bye. While I take Emily's call from West Jordan, Adams Road is going to come up here and sing Amazing Grace for us a cappella. And, so, uh, and so Emily from West Jordan, you're on Heart of the Matter. They're not coming up. <laughs> Emily. Yes. You're on the air. And we've only got one minute. Okay. You're on the air with Sean. Okay. Live. Live. <laughs> You're on the air, Emily. Okay. Emily, we love you. Call back next week. Bye-bye. You guys know the words? First verse of the Y. All right, you ready? All right. Okay, hold on. What's a good pitch, Steve? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Audience, join in with us. Go! Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. We hope that all of you out there, praise God, we hope all of you uh, who are lost know you can be found.
Go to your Lord. Go to your maker. Cry out to him and say, show me, Lord. Show me the truth. Open up your Bible to the Gospel of John. Go listen to Adam's Road. Is there about? Go to their website. What is it again? AdamsRoadBand.com. AdamsRoadBand.com. They're going to be all over the state. Take a minute and just go hear these guys' testimonies and music. It might change your eternity. And I can tell you, once that happens, you'll never be the same. Join us next week as we go into the rest of the New Testament for scriptures to compare with Mormonism. See you next week.